Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. Um, At the start of last week's episode, both Hobbs and myself discussed our commitment to diversity and to Black Lives Matter. Um, We reached out to content creators of color to invite them onto the show to amplify their voices and their work, and we were lucky enough to hear right away from Daquan Watson, a magic streamer, game designer, and host of the Color of Magic podcast. In order to get to know our guest a little better and to share some of our own history, we thought a good opening question today could be a uh, short and to the point. How did you get into magic? Um, Daquan, would you like to go first? Yeah, I got into magic really almost by, I don't know, I guess happenstance in a way. Uh, We were on a field trip actually in Corpus Christi. I believe it was the Padre Staples Mall. We had stopped in on the way back. I ended up going to this, like, at the time, obviously, there weren't full-fledged game stores like there are now there's some type of like collectible and hobby store and this guy's telling me about this thing called magic i'm like okay sounds kind of cool i played some D. this is interesting and what's funny is at one point he tries to show me the starters or what what we used to have starter decks i guess new players don't even know yeah don't sell those anymore <laughs> yeah yep. but they had an unlimited starter right next to a revised starter i'm like well what's what's the difference it's like oh well the revised one has cards from like Arabian Nights and Legends and stuff. And the other one's just like the first like 300 cards or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll take this revised one then. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, five years later, I'm like, oh, you know, that probably wasn't the best choice. <laughs> the funny thing is, on the way home, because we're this is like a field trip. So on the way home, I'm reading this rule book in the bus. And I'm realizing I need another deck. So I read through it anyway, figure it all out. I just toss it in my drawer. Don't think about it. Well, I think it was like two weeks later, a friend of mine, he had been visiting his brother and he comes back and he says, yeah, my brother was showing me this game and he's like describing it. And I'm like, wait, is it called Magic? And he's like, yeah, that's the game. And I was like, oh, sweet. I have some of those cards at home. He's like, oh, my brother gave me a deck, right? So we rush, go back over to my place, get my cards. And then we played for probably the next six hours with just junky starter decks, which we couldn't barely cast anything on time or anything else. But we didn't know. We didn't care. Yeah. No sleeves. And that, that opened up the door to everything else. That's really awesome. So that was, I mean, so we're looking at 95. I mean, you've been playing for 20 yeah. something years. It was late, years. late 94, early 95, somewhere wow. in that range. That's awesome. And have you played the entire time? Like, have you taken any significant breaks? No, I actually never really took any major breaks. I mean, I did go to like college and stuff in between there, but even then I played at the local place and I used magic to pay for some of my living expenses. So mm. <laughs> yep. magic magic has brought a lot of things to me. And and I'm curious too, just getting an idea, you know, the, with the group that you played with kind of learning, was it other black players? I'm curious kind of what it looked like your play group early on. Yeah, I was very fortunate in the sense that I have lucky to grow up with people of different cultures and nationalities around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, even then, though, I would say my group was still probably like seventy percent white, and I was the still the only black guy. There, I mean, I was in a town that didn't have a large black population, but even then, you know, I had a friend who was half Native American, half Hispanic. Uh, I had another friend who was half Thai, half Chinese that played, you know, so I, I had a reasonable group of players around me that, that were from different backgrounds. Well, thank you. So um, I'm Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter um, at Hobbs Q. Um, and I actually started playing around 2001, 2002. And uh, I got into it. So a friend of mine um, in college was dating one of the guys on my cross country team and he was going abroad and we had played other games together. We played a lot of Scrabble together. uh, And she just said, Hey, I need somebody to play this game magic with me and kind of taught me with it was, I think it was a mishmash of just cards. I mean, my first deck was, still like dark rituals into hypnotic specters with him to Torox and lightning bolts. I mean, black red. We had a like... real first deck. <laughs> well, I mean, so they were like thrown together and they like, they didn't necessarily like, like after that point, they had just whatever garbage, like red and black creatures we could find. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a little bit more 
than what your decks were. Still sleeveless, <laughs> still. But so, and I think it's funny that you mentioned the starters. I bought some of the the first like um, those the decks that they actually had that were full decks that um, like the precons, the original precons. Yeah, yeah. I bought the one from Odyssey that was all about like changing creature types. It was called the bait and switch deck. And it made me think that blue was the horrible worst color in magic. Well, you were right. Yeah, because well, <laughs> <laughs> for me, for different reasons at that point, because I just was like, gosh, why would anybody play blue? It can't do anything. Wow, I can change a creature. I can morph. Like, it just was funny to me that those were the first blue cards I really was exposed to just because it was based on what my friend had in their collection. Um What's funny is similar to what you're talking about, Daquan, with, with your friend that showed up with the deck. Shortly after this, I moved back to California and a bunch of my high school friends uh, were all like, hey, we started playing this game. Uh, we don't know. We think that you might be interested in joining. We have some cards for you if you want to learn. Uh, and they, they were talking about magic. And <laughs> I, it was just really random because i was like oh yeah i got decks like I, like no you don't understand like so and that was fortunate too by my high school group being from southern california my town was predominantly hispanic and so most of my friends growing up were hispanic um so my group was a little more diverse but still no black players um i don't remember seeing a lot of when we started going to stores to play fnms and that that was kind of my journey to starting to play yeah, and um, I'm Alex Newman on, on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. My, I started around the same time as you, Daquan. Um, I remember, I, I can't remember exactly when, but it was in 94 at some point. Um, my dad used to play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and a friend of his who he played D&D with showed up to our house one Saturday with several revised starter decks and said, this is D&D in card form. We need to learn how to play. And <laughs> immediately, I think we had a four-person game going, which has kind of defined how I played Magic. What's funny to me about that is like that was the purpose of Richard Garfield designing magic. So when we make the joke about magic as Richard Garfield intended, it was your D and D group. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, it was to be played if you didn't have all your players there, or yeah. you were between sessions and you wanted something short to do. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and and so it was for years, and I was pretty young at the time. So for years, my play group was just my dad and his friends, and my brother sometimes. Um, until really high school is when I had my own friends who played magic. And and in, in high school, it was, well, most of my friends were, were white at the time. But the school I went to was majority black and I think even more Asian than white. So there were some, we had some players of, of color, but it was still mostly me and my white friends playing during lunch. But I, I, I played the game on and off. I've had a couple big breaks, um, but for the most part. You know, go back to 94. So I've been playing on and off for over 25 years at this point. It's a lot of history. Unlike, unlike Daquan, um, is history that far back, even getting in in 2001, I have paid for a lot of expenses and stuff with magic cards when my wife couldn't believe. So we, we bought a new TV set um, for the World Cup a couple years ago. And when I told her I sold five magic cards to pay for it, she was kind of blown away. And it was just because I had Lion's Eye Diamonds in some dual lands that I had for a legacy deck I was no longer playing. Yeah, it's it's amazing, yeah, because I've done that more than once. I'm kind of like, ah, I want to get this thing for, like, a house. I was like, that's going to be, like, 200 bucks. Well, let me go sell this booster box. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like, I don't want to spend my money, but I'll go spend somebody else's money. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and my wife did say in her wedding vows that she would never throw out my magic cards. <laughs> Yeah, I got lucky and married another nerd, so like, <laughs> yep. he gets it. Yep. Mine's more of a Batman, DC, and kind of comic book nerd, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. They can relate. So we are still a lore-based cast, and we talked about kind of wanting to look at how the game reflects the real world or reflects our life. We kind of had talked to Daquan about developing an episode about what he might want to talk about or something that might be an interesting lore topic so that we could get to some of these deeper issues. And one of the things that he brought up was, let's talk about the characters of color that we kind of have in the game, those that are really kind of more standout. Um, and I know that this week you spoke with Gavin a little bit about Teferi, but I thought we could start with Teferi because Teferi has kind of been 
for a long time, if you look back, I'm thinking back Mirage and even just kind of in through time spiral, the token black character that we kind of had that was for, that was key to the storyline, I would say. Um, he's now become much more the face of magic, especially the last couple of years. Yeah. And actually, just so I can clear the air on something, I think I had a couple of people last week who felt that like Devin had reached out to just like have a person of color because of the instances of last week or some of the stuff Wizards has been dealing with. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, like I've known Gavin for a few years, you know, I spent some time working at Wizards. Obviously, to produce these cards and the artwork like that stuff was started a year and a half ago. to Get us to here. So like it wasn't like a thing that just popped up. I mean, I don't I didn't want people going after Gavin going like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Like, no, that's not what happened at all. <laughs> just so everybody knows. No, that and I, I would say that that's one of the things that people that's one of those things that we can see the changes that we're starting to hopefully see with wizards. And we're going to probably discuss some of this, but um, as you said, sets are planned. Art is planned well in advance. So we've had like Titus on the lunt or on the show and Adam Paquette, they've talked about the fact that, you know, they're, they have artwork coming out in a year, like two years from down the road. Um, So thank you for clearing that up. That's hard for people because, Uh you know, we live in a largely digital age where, hear about something and then it's a thing in like three months right Mm -hmm. yeah and you just can't do that with a paper product because you have to you're you're trying to contact all these different artists and everybody has certain descriptions and there's advertising that has to go with it and then things are being printed in multiple places around the world and everything has to be shipped on time you know so it's a very coordinated project and one of the things i kept telling people even when i was at wizards is that you have to picture it like a giant cruise liner and if it goes to turn right, you don't just turn right. Like you you drift right and make your way to that direction. Like it just, it can't move faster. Like some things are just going to be slow, whether we like it or not. So there's things I can tell you that have started years ago, two up to two years ago when I was still there, that are just now being seen more. And and there are some things changing, but it's just, you know, it's just the the speed of progress, I guess. When we had Gavin on, we had a very interesting discussion about um, how he basically lives in, which is funny for him, like he's like a time traveler because he's having to live in so many time points, knowing about what is coming out versus what isn't. And he told us a story about basically like throwing out all this food in (laughs) his fridge that he thought was expired because he had the year wrong. I could totally see that. Yeah. I mean, I have trouble right now between this whole like isolation stuff mm-hmm. and producing content for multiple things that have to be pre-scheduled and whatever. I've literally just forgotten what day it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've for my work for, for social distancing, I'm in the office every other day and it has been str- tr- I've lost track of weeks. I'll have done something two days ago and I'll say, well, last week. Wait, no, that was just Monday. And it's that's such a small thing, let alone I felt that way this week on our podcast. Like I was telling a story and while I was telling it, I was like, oh crap, was that last weekend or the weekend before? Cause I don't want to sound like a liar and say it was 10 days ago. And it was like right. 14 days ago. Like, you know, like I don't even remember when this happened. Yep. Yeah. We had that uh, w- when, when an episode comes out, uh, especially depending on how early you record and all that. Um, the, the best part of the irony for us is we recorded a whole episode on social anxiety and how to confront it like a month before the isolation started and like going to conventions and going to magic fests and yeah yeah so yeah so thank you for clearing kind of that up like talking about that idea that gavin didn't just have you on and be like hey look we just we turned around and did this thing for m21 yeah look look at all these artwork of black people we have like no that was already in the works for for months and months and i will say with what's coming out from m21 i have been struck by the amount of characters we're getting legendary characters which for me as important as a primarily EDH player at this point that are people of color that don't look like a stereotypical white person that I'm used to seeing. Yeah. And that's kind of the interesting thing, right? When you're talking about Teferi, we've made him the face of this set. And with that, you get to see his wife and his daughter and, you know, the people around him, right. That may have gotten one mention of previously or whatever and it's like oh no they now have their own card i guess technically his daughter has her second card yes (laughs) yeah she was in finally get to see his wife and you get to see another version of jor-el and you know like the other people from dominaria and that's very cool so looking at teferi kind of what you know 
I'm hoping that you might be able to tell us kind of like what has been your relationship with somebody like Teferi in this game? It's kind of interesting because in the beginning, I don't think I really thought a whole lot about Teferi. Other than, you know, God, I hate his cards. (laughs) 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 Just like, okay, cool. So there's there's a black guy on a card. That's neat. And you know, that was that was kind of it at first. But then when I think came back to Dominaria and we were talking about him and you know now it's like oh he was able to save his civilization by phasing him out of time and you know there's all this stuff that went in and now we're getting to see what happened afterwards and he's going to be a planeswalker and you know like okay and now now you're kind of filling in some things and now I kind of care a little bit more and, and it's interesting because I think I mentioned this with Gavin that you've created a character that everybody kind of identifies and appreciates and we kind of like everything but his cards. On the tabletop, he's a villain. <laughs> then the story, he's a hero. Right. I, I, you know, like, and I don't know if that's just like a thing where, okay, well, we don't want to have the black character be one of our key characters and have the card suck because that would be terrible. But then like people two hearts the other way, it makes it too good. Yeah, you don't want to see it hit the table across from you. Yeah, and it's like and you want it to be played so people see him. The other half of that is like, oh no, is it too good now? And everybody just hates it, you know? So I, you know, I think like what's funny is I think the first representation that we got of him was actually a card that he's not named, um, which is disruptive student. So we kind of see him as this like problem child, basically at the Tolarian Academy, which I think is kind of hilarious just that we see him kind of early on. We kind of, he is somebody that we had in the game from what is that? Urza's saga? Um, yeah, I around mean, that time. Yeah, and he 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 appeared a lot more early on in kind of these just like in uh, flavor text or part of the story. You had to be much more invested. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. he's kind of become, like you said, uh, uh, we, we like we get him in time spiral, so he's involved with kind of the mending. Um, we get yeah. him as that m- before he sparks. So we see him kind of, he's, I think he's cool because we get him as a character, both pre and post spark. Yeah, I I always think that's neat too, because if you're an invested player, you kind of get to see the evolution, you know, as they go Super Saiyan. (laughs) And that was, and I think the, him not showing up is one of the weird things with the early design. Well, maybe not weird things, but with the early design of the game where they couldn't really represent the Planeswalkers as cards. Mm Mm-hmm. It kind of came up with that card type and that technology later, and I think like Time Spiral was was nice because then they could have a current storyline and pull characters because Teferi was currently in the storyline, but they were also able to pull other characters and give them cards that were legendary creatures, and later go down and make those Planeswalker cards so they could represent some of these characters that we that had been in the story but we weren't really seeing them, so they were telling the stories about them, but because they're not on the cards, it's hard to see them there. Yeah. Exactly. Now, as you're kind of saying that we're seeing him as a family man too, kind of changes a lot of kind of the representation of Teferi and the growth that we're seeing in Teferi. At least for yeah. me looking at the game, like, you know, he's not just, I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of, but we, we like, we don't see a lot of families. Um, I talked about this a little bit when I did an episode about being a father and talked about Angrath and kind of his, his spark and kind of taking him away from his family. Um, so we're now seeing Teferi actually as a father. Yeah, and I think that's big on on two fronts. You know, I think the first is doing it's a good. It's not the the typical representation that fantasy or even honestly, even just I would say just any type of written fiction or visual fiction as for black people predominantly, right? Mm-hmm. Like we get a. You know, you hear a lot of black actors talk about, well, my first role was, you know, I had to be thug number two in whatever this thing was. So it's cool to have a black character depicted as like, no, he's a full family person. He's a protector of these people. You know, he is respected. You know, and, and that's pretty neat. On the other half of that, you have a lot of players that are now parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think people realize, but magic the average age of the magic players is somewhere between 26, 27 years old. Yep. <clears throat> so a lot of them at that point have finished school, you know, they're, they've got their two or three year olds, but there's a lot of players that have played long enough that 
now they're teaching their 10, 11, 12 year olds to play. So it's cool to have a character that goes, oh, yeah, he's got a full family and like it's relatable to a lot of people. So you're giving another part of the community something else they can relate to. Do you feel that this is a character that Wizards has handled well? I mean, we talk a lot about the storyline and there's been, unfortunately, in the last year or two, some just complete missteps with the story. Yeah, there's been some problems. <laughs> there's been some, yeah, we'll, we'll put that mildly. Um, we lost one of our hosts due to leaving the game over some of that. So um, I'm just kind of, yeah, kind of thinking about that for you and your interaction. So I, I know that you you were said when I reached out to you that you're, uh, between you and your co-host, you're probably a little bit more invested in the story and kind of he's been, it sounds like he's been playing Magic for less time. Yeah, definitely. Has less definitely. of a history. So it, it, how do you see Wizards doing with this? with this character you know, in particular? I think Teferi has probably be hand, been handled better than a lot of their characters, truthfully. Uh, I also think, and, and I think we talked about this, I think we had Greg Orange on our show, uh, hmm. episode two or three. Uh, another Minnesotan. Yeah, yeah, where, where he talked about, you know, his family came to an event, and just seeing the Teferi banner with a black guy, like, front and center in a fantasy piece. His dad doesn't even play. Mm -hmm. but he wanted to go take a picture with the poster. Yeah. Just be like, hey, this is a thing, you know? So keeping him front and center and, you know, he's not the villain. He's not the one everybody's attacking. I mean, again, tabletop villain, a little bit different. <laughs> but having that level of character represented by a black person, I think actually does have some impact. I think it's a lot of things maybe that the average player doesn't see. But I think anybody who's kind of on the marketing side of things or you're at a lot of events or whatever, you do kind of slowly see that impact that it creates. And I think that's been very good. Yeah, um, Mike Wildspeaker, who's a, a teacher. Am I getting that? He's also I'm been on my show. It's awesome. He was on an early oh, yeah. episode with us too. Yeah, he was. We he was talking him. about that. Uh, well, with his students, saying having Teferi on playmats, I think was what he was talking about. Yep. Yeah, they were able to pick playmats and pick, uh, I think, card boxes maybe too. But um, his his group, because it's in, I believe, Milwaukee, uh, is a lot more diverse in the the gaming group that he has, and he talks a lot about the fact that they were able to see somebody like them in the game was a huge pool to maybe get some of them to play. Yeah, that's definitely a thing, you know, and I, and it's hard, I think for players to quantify because I think what a lot of players get is that a lot of what we hear online and a lot of the discussions we see are from a very, very small percentage of the players that play the game. There's players that, I mean, even all this stuff that happened last week with like wizards getting rid of cards and all this stuff like online that have been in my Twitch streams that weren't even aware of any of that happening. You know, so imagine how many of them that don't get online or don't go to these streams or don't play on Twitter or whatever. Like they're the ones that used to just walk into my store and unless one of us as an employee or an owner told them, they had no idea anything was going on. Right. So their only engagement is what physically is out in the world. So those things have huge impacts you know, when it changes what they're seeing visually and you know, what's being pushed in front of them. And I do think Teferi is a really good example of kind of a character that was always, I, I would say, I mean, even just, he's more of a beloved character when we talk about kind of Dominaria, even if we're talking about pre-time spiral that this is a character that was liked. I mean, this wasn't, you know, this isn't Urza, who, when people actually get into it, realizes a horrible, horrible person. Um, Urza, Urza was awful. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. He's, he's like the OG villain in Magic. Oh, yeah. We, we, we talk about Urza and, and eugenics on this show, like, as often yeah. as we can possibly sneak it in. And the true magic hero of Nicol Bolas, but that's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> he tried. He got his one big opportunity. He slipped up. Well, you know, uh, so my my analogy with Bolas is always that he only sparked because he was it was like that episode of the Twilight Zone, and he just wanted to read his books. And like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and that's what happened. Um, because Bolas yeah. is depicted as just this dragon reading books. We know it. <laughs> so, 
but sorry, <laughs> little tangent there. But you know, but 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 Teferi wasn't. You know, he, he's not a character that he wasn't set up to be the villain, which is something that could have happened early in Magic, right? You know, yeah, exactly. The black Very man is the been. villain. Yeah, and what's funny is I don't think I ever had that thought of like, oh man, awesome! They didn't make him the bad guy this time. I think it it feels like it was just treated as a character. You know, he was just an important part of the story, and he just happened to be a black person, which is, to me, the way you want everything written and you want things done. And truthfully, I would say Teferi probably has more depth and more character than 90% of the stuff or 90% of the other characters that have been written for Magic. Yep, I would completely agree with that. Because we see him in a lot of different contexts. We see him as a you know, prankster kid at school. And then we see him, you know, and he is, he becomes an adult and some of the different struggles that he's gone through in these different ages. I mean, it helps that he's been alive for over a thousand years at this point in the game, but that helped. Yeah. And you also get like the interaction of other characters where you're talking mm-hmm. about like, you know, Aaron being a part of his history and stuff, right? Like there's, there's a lot of that where you get to see his interactions with other characters as well as his personal development, which is really interesting. And we get to see him with the gate watch. You know, we see him in War of the Spark. Now, maybe the story wasn't handled the best, but he's there. He's at least front and center. He is part of the plan on how the attack is going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's not to be undersold, too, because I think previously in Magic, there have been times where just like, oh, big things are happening, but we're going to focus on these three characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the others kind of go to the wayside and they've made it a point to make sure that Teferi has been part of the major large issues recently. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was one thing. That's a, a good point too, Dequan. I haven't thought about that. The For the issues with the War of the Spark story, they did try to, okay, this group is going to go do this thing and this group's going to do this thing. And they tried to involve more characters in the action. Yeah. It felt more like, I don't know, like, a, like an Avengers or a Marvel Endgame kind of thing. We're like, okay, we're going to try to involve all these characters until the wrap up the story where all these people are important. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of something for everybody. Now, granted, uh, you missed the mark on a couple of them. Yeah. 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 You yeah. know, I at least see the concept that was there. Yeah. You, you made me, I think of it as like, you made me care about Dak and then, he, <laughs> and then he's yeah, the one that you kill. Yeah. And you also yeah. had told us he was going to die in your promo video. Uh, so just kept waiting for him to die the entire book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so some are handled better than others. But another one that was there, and it I think is another character that we want to talk about, is Kaya. Yeah. Like Kaya's interesting, you know, because th- this is where I guess it can be a little difficult when you see some things from Wizards one side and you people want to take it to the nth degree and say, like, Wizards is doing nothing and whatever, and they're not trying, they don't get it. But then you have a character like Kaya where during the creation of Kaya, they actually went out and got a black woman to give them information on like, what makes sense to you? What type of story would you write? You know, what is this depiction of the character? Does this, is, does this make sense? You know, does it feel placating or whatever? And that already says there's at least even, you know, I guess Kaya is not even that old, I guess like four years old now or something. Mm-hmm. Like, even then, you can see at least they were making the effort and they were trying to do it correctly. By saying, like, we want a black character that looks black, like she has the black hair and the features and whatever, but we want to do it in a way that makes sense within the story. Like, I think a lot of people appreciate it. We got her first representation too, right? I mean, before kind of um, Ravnica, we actually got her. I mean, in terms of cards, she showed up in a supplemental set, if I remember rightly, right? And Conspiracy, I believe Conspiracy. So she's part of that whole thing. Um, And I mean, I think one thing that's been helpful with her is we did get a lot of the Django Wexler stories um, that included her. So we have gotten more with Kaya. So now we have kind of this representation of, like you said, a very, uh, I would say, you know, like, Clearly a black woman, like you said, the hair yeah, is very hair, traditional, very looks. traditional look. So how well do you think that they've kind of handled this with, with her role and kind of what she's done 
within the storyline? Uh, if I were giving it a grade, I would say it's like a a B minus. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, mostly because I mean, what? I mean, one, she kind of does a very specific thing that no other character can do. Mm-hmm. You know, she goes and she can she can hunt ghosts. You know, like which is an interesting, but you can't do a ton of stories about somebody just constantly going and taking out old Razav folks or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like you, you can only, I mean, you can only squeeze that in here or there. So you just can't see a lot of her and see a lot of what she does. But the time she's been around, it's actually been pretty interesting. So I'm thinking, you know, kind of with that grade, one of the things that I'm really hoping to kind of do with looking at these characters is, you know, um, this is totally the psychologist in me and how I kind of picture and uh, teach things or look at things is kind of, I like to look at what did they do well and then what could be improved upon. And I'm curious where, what do you have ideas on where you think they could take Kaya to kind of improve upon or what, what do you think could be done? In a way you, and this is kind of a weird analogy, but you're probably going to have to treat, like DC has had to do with the Flash over time. Like the Flash started out as like, okay, this guy, he just runs really fast. Yep. And this is a superpower. Yep. And then it was like, you got that weird episode or issue where like decided to race Superman because Mr. Mixelplick wanted to see who was faster or something. Mm-hmm. And like he barely beat Superman. But then it's like, okay, well, if he's only slightly faster than Superman, why don't I just call Superman? Who could do everything yeah. else? Yeah. Yeah. So then it became, okay, well, we can make it to where maybe he can move through walls because he can move his particles so fast or whatever. Or he can move around in a scene where nobody can see him because the human eye can't detect him or what, right? And then we finally Reasons him, to be able to include him. Then we finally get that he can like enter like a different realm and time travel and. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to go to that degree with Kaya, but, <laughs> you know, Maybe creating some stories or where she finds a way to evolve her powers into something else, like that she can do an additional thing so she can be included in more stories. I think that's kind of like the next step. You know, maybe it's just her discovering something else with magic or she's found a way to link more things from the spirit world and whatever. Like, I don't know. But that's probably what I would aim for, just so you can include her in more things. Other than have her just be so much of a specialist. So I'm curious, kind of within the community that you are part of. um, Obviously, we've talked about this, you know, that there's not a lot of black content creators. There's probably, you know, from what we see, we don't tend to see as many black players add to that black female characters. And so I'm wondering if you know of any perspective of that when it comes to something like Kaya, Um, you know, either people in your own life or the, the surrounding community that you're part of. Do they have maybe the same reaction that we have to that that, that people had to the fairy? And... Yeah, they have. I mean, the difference though is you just don't have a lot of black women that currently play magic. Yeah, and th- there's a lot of different beliefs as to why that's a thing because it's not just magic. I mean, a lot of it's just in tabletop gaming in general. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of beliefs as far as socioeconomic things is just like exposure to different cultures you know, representation in the games. There are a lot of things that kind of lend itself toward that situation. But I can say, like, the people who have seen Kaya or seen her artwork or whatever, I, even when I had, you know, talking to different retailers and stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, it's cool that people at least point out the box or at least say something because they're like, oh, I, that's cool. You know, that's something you don't see in a lot of Magic products or whatever. So there is a positive impact from just having her be present which is very cool. But I will tell you, like they, even this recent round of artwork that we've had for a course at 21, people were really in the black community, like were really impressed. They're like, oh, they're doing like real artwork and they're not just dressing black people up in like traditional other stuff. Like you have some artwork, like the, uh, I think it's Teferi's wife, the card they had with like the panther on the side and the huge headdress and whatever. Like yep. that's just a gorgeous piece of art, you know, that, I don't think we would have gotten four years ago, five years ago in Magic. Right. And I think, you know, we talked about that. uh, We do know that there is some art coming out by some Black artists. Um, Hopefully, we're going to be kind of seeing some more commissions for that. 
but like you said, with kind of even seeing Kaya on the box, and I think that this is kind of more of a positive that I'm seeing from M21, and I'm I'm happy about this shift because I think about kind of the changes that we've seen in initial depictions of like Liliana or Chandra and how they just have like, you know, the jokes about Chandra that she basically is from this, from Kaladesh and is just slowly moved to more white redhead. Um, sure. <laughs> Liliana to me, I remember the first time I saw her on the initial card, just this is thinking this is a middle Eastern person that I'm seeing here. Now I don't think I would think that at all. Yeah, it's kind of like we had a running joke that nobody really knew where Gideon was from. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know, like different artists were like, okay, we'll do a darker skin tone. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, okay, well, now we find out he's from Theros. So I guess he's Mediterranean. And like, you know, like, you know, just like all these things that kept changing. And we're like, I don't, I don't really know. He's kind of just generic and we're trying to find a spot for him. Right. And I think I've, I, and I think with the original gate watching most of kind of that, that's what I'm feeling like we saw. It was, you didn't know yeah. it, was, it wasn't clear it wasn't deliberate and it feels like one of those things okay well we have these characters let's have them join together to do things and we'll tell those stories but after the fact somebody probably pointed out and i'd imagine somebody even within wizards probably just went you know they all kind of look the same <laughs> you know like what can we do about this and you know maybe that's why teferi ended up getting more face time like i don't know you know i wasn't there when that decision was made but it's a positive one. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the art, it just made me think of a, a character that when you talked about that teaching of the game that we're seeing, like Teferi having a daughter, maybe you know, with more parents in the game. Um, one we didn't even have on our list today that has been one of my favorites has been Aminato. No, I don't know the. F oh, yeah, yeah. The like eight year old planeswalker who is depicted with just very i mean very dark skin very traditional clothing um i mean that, that art to me is just beautiful yeah and and i think you just need more things like that you know because one of and and one of the reasons and i tell people you know like i said i've been helping people with uh, i guess we talked about this off the air but helping people behind the scenes with their different content and whatever and some people have asked like well how are you getting all these people to watch you on YouTube when you know there aren't that many black creators or whatever I keep telling them if you noticed everything I do on my videos is very intentional like I, I open and close 90% of my videos with me full screen just engaging with the audience whether I'm telling them a story about why we're doing a certain deck that day or why I'm talking about a certain thing or even just making fun of myself whatever it is and I'm normalizing that they're seeing the visual of a black person in their space and it's it's a small thing, but you get used to seeing that. And it's not just me and my small window while I'm playing Magic. Like we're having a full screen conversation. And and you know, and I tell them like everything I've done is very intentional. And I think this kind of lends itself to that, that you get used to seeing darker complected characters just in front of you, like we're saying, Kaya on a box or Teferi on a poster or whatever it is. I think starts to break down those barriers and maybe even discomfort that people may have with engaging with each other's culture or getting used to other people being in their space. Sorry, that's just a it's just a great. I mean, it's I'm pausing because of the fact that it's it's me thinking about just having it be normalized as, as you look at the art. It's playing a game across from you. Um, I'm a person who identifies a lot of cards by their artwork. I, I've been joking that lately, actually, the number of different uh, special editions and everything is kind of killing me because my brain focuses on artwork. And that's how I kind of can know what a card is a lot easier for me. Um, and so just having that normalized it across the table from me is I'm not just looking at Jace or I'm not just looking at a bunch of white soldiers. Um, we're a goblin cast. We have a whole other kind of discussion about that representation. But it's to see these things across the table and to be part of the main story. And this is where it gets into, to me, for us lore folk, how do we also, is the story being built there? I mean, we're going to get people hopefully normalized to play the game. But if they start getting into the game deeper, are they going to find this in the lore 
are they going to find stories that resonate with them? Yeah, and that's always the hardest part, you know, and I think that's when we say, okay, that's where you need more representation as far as either, you know, the writer's room or R&D and development or whatever, you know, as you're putting this together. So you have somebody just, I don't know if I want to say, you know, I mean, just, just a check on things, you know, that, okay, this makes sense. Like, yeah, this is the type of experience this person might have. Or this is the thing that's going to resonate with this other community. Just to make sure that those undertones are still there, still caring to multiple audiences, you know, and not just overlooking one. Yeah, and, and people who have different experiences are going to be blind to different things. And if everybody has in the room has had similar experiences, there's going to be overlapping areas of blindness. And you're just going to. Oh, absolutely. Things. I mean, I, we, we talk about on our show that we're two guys, but, you know. And women come on our show and talk about a thing, we just go, well, there's always something that we're just like, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I, I don't know how dark we want to get, but I've had discussions with women, you know, at different parties or social gatherings or whatever. And I was shocked as a guy to find out how many of them mentioned being catcalled as young as like age 11. I was like, what? You know, like I was in disbelief because I would have never even assumed like I've not had. I mean, maybe because I surround myself with better people or I call my buddies out when they're being idiots. But like, I would have never considered that to be a thing. But I would. So, and again, I would never put that in a story. I would never you know what I mean. Like, that would just seem so unreal to me that like, why would I ever put this in there? But a woman might go like, hey, let's talk about this issue that happens or let's at least plant the seed that, hey, this is a thing you need to pay attention to from their perspective that I would have never considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, g- growing up, I, I think I noticed it when I was uh, in high school, you know, so maybe, you know, we're talking about 13, 14, but the women on my team would get people yelling at them when they were out for a run. You know, they're out exercising. That's so terrible. Yeah. So... One last character that kind of I really wanted to think about was Vivian, um, because she has been featured a lot more prominently recently. Um, And we did get a listener that wanted to discuss kind of that there has been less of a backstory with her. I know, Alex, you were talking about in Ikoria, it seems like there might be some in the novella. Yeah, yeah, the the novella had her, not a ton of her backstory, um, but it, it had her... At that point, um, so I, I know part of her backstory, which I think was in some novellas that I or some short stories that I didn't read and things, had to do with Bolus. And there was this whole she had a vendetta against Bolus thing. And I don't know really where that was developed and if it was developed very well or not. But by Ikoria, Bolus has been dealt with, and now she's trying to find like what else exists for her. And so this was was her being uh, a green and color pie being that she has the stuff going on with the, the animals and she summons spirit creatures with her, her bow. Like that's part of her magic. She went to Ikoria because it's a place of big monsters and creatures and things. And so it was something interesting for her. And I thought that uh, Django Wexler who wrote that novella did a, a, a good job sort of showing a character looking for this kind of next place where they, the next thing that they want to do, the next journey in their life. Interesting. It's almost like starting like Craven the Hunter going after Spider-Man. <laughs> like what is what is the next big thing, you know, that I can chase down? No, I have an interesting thing about Kaya, actually. And this, because Kaya was developed while I was still at Wizards of the Coast. Wait, hang on. Kaya or Vivian? Oh, Vivian. Sorry. Okay, no, I, just wanted to make sure. I'm skipping, <laughs> skipping around here. Uh, yeah, but with Vivian, the interesting thing is at one point, and, and here's another thing, too. I don't think people are aware of this, but... Wizards has a ton of information coming from outside the building. I have a whole department that does just that, like literally doing surveys, doing focus groups, like just tons of things. And when Vivian was com- was coming out or was in being developed, they had different art depictions of Vivian. You know, all different, you know, some different outfits, you know, different settings as far as like, is she in the woods? Is she, you know posed with all the spirit animals, you know, whatever. And they were bringing people in 
both internal and external to like, you know, give your feedback on different art styles or whatever. When they brought me in and they were showing me different pieces, I immediately pointed to one and went, that's the one you have to use. And they were confused that it was so easy for me to select one, you know, so quickly. And I said, because particularly her hood was down and you can see that she's darker complected. She's not an elf. With the hood up, it would have been very easy to say that like, oh, well, it's a green card and she's wearing a hood and walking around in the forest. Obviously, this is an elf character. Yeah, she's another Nissa. And yeah, so it's easy to just excuse that. But I said with her hood down, you're forced to engage with like, no, this is a darker complected person who's a human or humanoid of some type that's not an elf. Yeah, and I think that was such a big deal. And it to Wizards is like that point forward. I don't, I don't know if I've seen a picture with being with the hood up you know, since then. It's always hood down. You can see her hair and the, the circlet that she wears and everything. So kind of interesting that only and I'm and a couple other people I understand gave the same feedback. But, you know, that not only did they hear it, they're like, OK, we're going to make the majority of the representations of Vivian where you can see her visually and her fullest. Yeah, and I'm just saying, I'm I'm looking at the uh, MTG wiki page. I don't think her outfit has a hood in the artwork that I'm seeing here. Yeah, you're right. Actually, the latest ones she doesn't. She has the cape or whatever, but doesn't yeah. really have a yeah. hood. Yeah, and it, it looks like a cape in like most of her art from her actual like um, cards, like the the actual Planeswalker cards, and also then again allowing the hair. You can actually see the you know that part of her, which is I think can be a big deal. Um. So you, so and you mentioned I I I admit I don't know what you did for Wizards. So I was oh, so I was in the trade marketing department. So okay. uh, pretty much everything that went to retailers on some level, my team touched. <laughs> That's like the, the easy explanation. But pretty much like all the pre-release stuff, keeping track of the stats for like the play in the stores, uh, promo cards. Uh, any of the programs that with WER or I mean the WPN stuff like that, you know, mm -hmm. was all through our team. Okay, so you had kind of the, the ability to kind of make that voice heard when you were in these. Oh, well, sure. Okay, I'm just curious. I don't know if, like, once again, I don't know how much you can talk about, obviously, but I'm curious what that environment was like for you. Honestly, it's interesting because. There are a lot of things that, and you know, I'm, I know people are going to like, he's not going to talk openly or whatever. Like, no, I don't have anything to fear. There's nobody like, I mean, I can't talk about some business things, obviously, because there's NDAs or whatever. But yeah. as far as like environment, I didn't ever really feel, I don't know, threatened or underappreciated maybe once i can think of one instance where i was really bothered but i don't think like it's one of those things like, i i can't say it was racially motivated though you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it's one of those things that like it looks like it could be but it's also because i was one of like i don't know five or six black people in the building yep. so like I, I you know what i mean like it, it maybe it was i don't know but it probably also wasn't because it's just I happen to be black and the other person in the scenario happened to be white. You know what I mean? But yeah, they, they would often, we'd have open discussions. You know, Wizards has a group at Wizards called Women of Wizards where they get the women together and even once a year, or maybe twice a year, but for sure once a year, they try to do house for women in the game community. Not even in the game community, people trying to get into the game community from other companies and stuff. And, you know, they do a special event for them. They make special items to give away to them. You know, the, the, the group meets, I want to say every other week. And they just talk about upcoming issues or things they want to include. You know, there's also a diversity committee that was started before I left there. You know, I even went to Momocon in Atlanta and I was on a speaking panel with three other Wizards employees talking about diversity. I mean, so it sounds like you do feel that there is at some level a commitment to this yes i don't i don't now don't get me wrong like could you do more absolutely you know, and we're still in that space where i think it's again some things that take a while to change you know 
if an idea comes up and you're like, okay, well, we need to put this in a product or we want to put this in a set for whatever reason, that can't happen for a year. You know, like, and it, and I don't think people understand that. Like, it's, it's very tough. Plus, if I can go on a little bit of a tangent here, there's also situations where even when I was there, we got put in weird spots, like where, uh, okay, so here's an example. We wanted to, there were the people at the company said, hey, why don't we, as a company, since we're supporting LGBT stuff or whatever, together, go march in the pride parade. Everybody's like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, we'll make t-shirts and whatever. And the whole idea was like, we're not going to market these things. We're not going to sell these things. It's like, it's literally just to show support. You know, we're not going to try to turn this into a money-making thing or whatever. And out there, had the signs. Everybody was great. We got, you know, everybody took pictures and, you know, everybody was sharing stuff on social. It was awesome. Immediately, we got people upset going, well, I don't know why you didn't make the shirts when everybody's going to want to buy one. And it was like, the whole point was to not look like, you know, you're trying to just profit off of a cause. Like, so then there had to be a few weeks of legal checking things out and whatever and setting things up so you can set up a charity thing. And, you know, so then they sold a bunch of shirts with the D&D Magic logo, rainbow logos mm -hmm. and donated the money to a local charity. Great. I'm actually sitting here with the um, Planeswalker rainbow symbol um, notebook that I'm <laughs> there you on go. while we're talking. But then we had another issue, right? Because they saw the signs with the big uh, Planeswalker rainbow logo on them mm -hmm. and the D&D ampersands and stuff. So then we had retailers going like, well, I don't know why you couldn't just make this available on the website so I could put that in my play space or whatever. And it's like, okay, so that's another thing you have to do, right? But we can't just throw it on the website because you have places like Russia and like China where in all reality, somebody could get killed for us putting that up there, you know? So legal has to go through a big thing. You have to block IPs. You have to do all this stuff. So only certain places have access to it or not or whatever. And like, it's, it's just not do a thing, put it up there. Like, unfortunately, because they're dealing with literally the entire world and all the world governments and everything else, there's just a ton of checks and balances that slow crap down and it sucks. Especially even when I was there, there's things I'd be like, hey, can we just do this? And I was like, well, yeah, but then, you know, it takes 12 weeks for a thing to happen sometimes. I mean, you're pointing out the frustrations that a lot of us in the community might have, which is, you know, we get a statement about Chandra and this uh, and kind of a whole discussion after that had kind of come out. Yet it was known that it was not to certain countries. And it feels invalidating, I think, for a lot of players. And as you're saying, there's a whole safety issue maybe that people might not be aware of. It's still hard to know. Like, I, I can say that for me as a player at times, it might feel invalidating. Oh, I, I get it. I totally get it. Like, I, I truly wish there was a way to be able to tell those stories. And, and admittedly, maybe they still can, but they're not willing to take that gamble. Whether it's, I don't know, financially or trade deals or something. For I have no idea. Because when you're talking about an international business, especially when there's the other aspect of you are a subsidiary of Hasbro, and it, Hasbro may not you know, really be keeping their thumb on you to make you do certain things, but that would come up in consideration because they're also doing business all over the world. So I don't know. And, and it's tough because I have friends of just about every representation, I think, at this point. We've had those conversations, you know, like, and I get it. The thing you were part of and the thing you were wanting to be proud of, you'd love to see them just take a stand, regardless of what the financial issues are. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's this is another area that I think we're we're seeing, unfortunately, it's I, I think of this, I'm, I can become cynical at times. Um, I, I fully admit that, uh, that we're seeing that there's a shift in, in companies making stands about some of the stuff, which generally typically means for them that it's more profitable to make that. Now, I mean, people talk about that as that's the vehicle that you use to make change in some ways. That's one avenue is that you make it better for a company to support these things and state that than to not. So like NASCAR is the huge example, I think, from this week. Yeah, and I think me, if anybody making a stand for the purpose of making a stand, it's probably NASCAR. 
Yeah. You know, like I think <laughs> when you look around and say like, well, okay, well, this company has to make a statement because this, this company has to do this because, you know, they would look bad if they didn't say something. You look at NASCAR and it's like, dude, their fan base is 98% white. Like, you know, when you see drivers coming out with, I can't breathe shirts and yeah. them dunking hard on their own people for like, being idiots. Yeah. You know, it's like, because I don't know if you saw the response from NASCAR to the dude that said he was just going to quit racing Ooh. because of them taking away, and I quote, his special flag. Yep. Like, God. <laughs> like the fact that they came out and like, dude, we had to Google you. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. Like, like that's just savage. Like, yeah. But, you know, like, if they're taking a stand, they're doing it just for the right cause. Nobody's going to question that. It's harder when you're our company that has a diverse community, or at least trying to, and then you come around. It's like, okay, well, why now? Mm-hmm. You know, and it and it sucks as a company because you're never going to win that argument. Nope. Like yeah. there's, it's be you didn't act fast enough, so no matter what you do, it's going to get called into question. That's just the hand you've dealt yourself now. And and I think that just kind of finishing up with kind of the the lore piece to it, I think that the um. To me, the why now statement is really evident when it comes to the choice to now. You know, the banning of the cards was a little bit different than what I was expecting, but the removal of some of the art, recognizing that Invoke Prejudice had a very unfortunate collector number and a lot of questions about kind of that. This isn't the first discussion we've had about Invoke Prejudice. Um, This is a card that I've known about and known about the artist and known about kind of the history and known a lot about this card there's been pushback on this card multiple times yeah there's a lot of stuff around invoke prejudice you know i think even jesper murfers i think said you know he saw the initial artwork as almost taking a shot at the clan more than supporting the clan which was kind of part of that whole thing and I kind of get it because if you're not victimized by the clan, you probably don't think of the worst case scenario. So, I mean, granted, it doesn't make it better that it's there, but I'm saying like I could at least see the logic. But then the problem becomes you know, when you see other artwork from McNeil and you start to question, like, okay, was he trying to say something by doing this? And and it's tough because deals with artists and you know we have had discussions about harold mcneil and it's rough because i feel like there's something i i don't want to talk about people's personal stuff too much but there are things you know about his character and some things personally that affect him but i i will say i don't know i'm trying to figure like the most polite way to say this and still protect an individual here i think it's still wrong that the artwork exists but I don't know if he was depicting the things with honestly depicting the things I am seeing and depicting them with the intention that maybe at first I thought could be there. Okay. And then that creates a weird scenario. I gotcha. And I mean, this is a tough, I mean, this is a tough topic. Um, I think it is. Well, <laughs> because. Yeah, because when I saw it first, I mean, because I saw it years ago, I didn't yeah. see it maybe for not like up to a year after I've been playing. I finally saw a copy of it. Yep. And I was just like, OK, that's a little on the nose, you know, invoke prejudice and you're using clan members like, well, all right. I mean, it's a choice. I guess. Yeah. But like, did it need to be on a card? Like, you know, like, yeah. I made a point to like, I never had one on display when I had my store. I never stuck one in the display case. Just never like wanted to give anybody that fuel or that belief or whatever. And I just never put one out. And I would say that for me, regardless of intent and what kind of happened back then, things have needed to change or at least be addressed with that from now. Like, I think that there's been a recognition that magic in its early days had a very i would say just blatantly a diversity issue that the people that were definitely would never like you said it wasn't even being considered um it wouldn't have occurred to them because of not having the lived experience or 
kind of recognizing that, yes, you might see that as a sticking it to the clan versus a, a black person seeing that and having a very different visceral reaction to it. I, I guess this is just, this comes down to that, the, this shift probably needed to have to, at least addressing it in a direct way. It does bring up a why now question for me. And I think you're right. Like it, it, for me, yes, it needed to be changed before now, like regardless of when the artwork was created, what the initial art director thought or whatever, at some point you go, you know what? Uh, our base of people isn't quite what we thought it was or isn't now what it used to be. And this is becoming a problem. Like, let's, let's start taking a, a deeper look at this. You know, and you have some stuff where like things change, right? In 25 years, the term gypsy has become a negative term for people. So at one point, it was okay to use that. People, you, there, Harold, there was a whole TV show with uh, Eddie Izzard, uh, I guess about eight or nine years ago. It was about specifically that, right? But now you wouldn't do that. Okay, now we have to go back and address some things. And then you have weird choices on the list where people go like, well, I crusade. Like, well, me, I think it's even just simpler that, well, if you remove jihad, but you leave crusade. Yeah, yeah. Like, eh, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's kind of a bad look. So you take one, you kind of got to take the other. I'm really thinking to me is uh, if we take a look at this art, I am interested in seeing in the card names and seeing where do we go from here? Um, I was not expecting bannings. I will admit that I was expecting a redoing of the um, maybe the gather assigning a different gatherer number because just for the sake of doing it, I can understand maybe removing the artwork Um not wanting so then it gets into not wanting them played it, it does i am interested to see kind of well where does this go hey that's the biggest thing i know and, and it's tough because i know everybody talks about like cancel culture and all this stuff but i'm not personally one for just outright canceling anything unless it's something just heinous you know if you if you molest somebody then like great you're just an awful person you know, but when you're talking about companies, there's there's very few people at Wizards that have been there the entire time. I think, you know, maybe a handful, you know, maybe 10 that are that are 20 years plus there. Out of their, I don't know, 500 plus employees. So it's not as many as people think, you know, when even you know, Peter Atkinson and all those guys, they're, they're doing other things. They work, they run Gen Con and stuff now. Like they're not even involved with the day-to-day -day at, at Wizards. And I think really just have to look and say, okay, what are you doing now? Like, what are the people you've hired recently doing? What efforts are you making? You know, what things, like I said, some things that maybe started a year ago, we're now starting to see, and this is a positive direction. So if it keeps on, great. And it's not just lip service. And we start seeing those efforts. And I'll, and I'll be honest, that is where it hit me a little bit with um, that idea of how to make an apology. I understand that there's always going to be legal involved is this was similar to me when we saw the Chandra and Nissa come out and saying kind of we're going to do better. I believe that the company in some ways, what we want to see is like action steps so that we know what to expect. Because it's very easy to say there's the changes coming. And you said it could be a year or two down the road. If you don't have kind of even able to share kind of what some clear actions or steps are in concrete terms, it becomes a lot harder to trust. Agreed. Like you, it's a tough business thing because on some level you have to, I don't know, to win that trust back, you almost have to say, okay, we have to decide some of this. We have to kind of like feed to the public early. Just say like, hey, just so y'all know, I don't know, let's say in the Chandra Nissa example, I don't, I don't know, but let's just say, okay, hey, look, we have hired this group to at least give us input on our next storyline. Granted, we may not see that story for nine months, but at least now you know there's somebody there helping the direction. Even that would be enough sometimes. We would know if you're following through, I think from my... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and some of the acknowledgement of the timeline, and they they do this sometimes, and they they don't, and others, and I think it's a, it's a repetition of thing. And you you've been bringing it up, and I'm I'm glad because that timeline of how long it actually takes a product to come out from Wizards is something that is just easy to forget, or people don't even realize. But you know what's funny though this this comes back to you know players not really knowing what they want because. Here we are saying like, oh, it'd be nice if Wizards told us about a thing before the thing happened. But then you get people complaining like, well, why are you just telling us about a thing that you're going to do in a month or whatever, right? And it's like, uh, guys, <laughs> come on. like The balance, right? Yeah. Like, Kind of brings us to the end of the lore discussion and kind of the recent things that we've seen from Wizards and changes that, they, that we have coming down the pipe. Uh, we're going to be doing a second episode with Daquan in which we kind of go through some mailbag questions that we did get, maybe talking a little bit more directly about race. So we're going to sign off for now. Um, I am HobbsQ. I can be found on Twitter at HobbsQ or at the Goblin Lore Pod. Uh, I am working on streaming a little bit more. We're doing some parents who play EDH some Thursday nights when I'm able to. But like I said, still working on getting that a little bit more consistent. I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler, um, though I'm still kind of in the middle of my break from Twitter. I, I check in to my messages every so often. If, so if you do want to send something to me, I'll see that. But I'm mostly off the app. And that's about the only place I'm on the Internet other than this cast. And I am Daquan. You can find me under Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N, on most social platforms, but to catch me streaming on Twitch, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, 9 p.m. to midnight Pacific time, and just about every day on YouTube, I have something going up. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. HobbsQ can be found at HobbsQ, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmite, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>